0: Yeah. Territory Podcast. This week we have Christopher Groh as our guest. Chris is the product lead for VMware Cloud Flex Storage Service. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Happy to be here.
2: Hey, for those who don't know, maybe you can introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your career at VMware and probably before VMware as well. Maybe interesting for our listeners to hear all about that.
1: Yeah, happy to do so. Uh, So I'm currently a director of product management at VMware and uh, uh, focusing on storage. I would say for the past, I've been with VMware for nearly six years now, um, you know, primarily in the vSAN team and where I've led features such as uh, HCI Mesh, uh, which is our disaggregation solution and uh, vSphere lifecycle manager, uh, working closely with the vSphere team. But I would say for the past year and a half, I've been working on a different project, which is leading the launch of VMware Cloud Flex Storage, the topic of today, Um, working very closely with the Datrium team, actually after the acquisition, Datrium technology we acquired several years back. And of course, as we know, it powers uh, VMware Cloud disaster recovery and ransomware recovery uh, solutions. And now this is a new uh, solution based on that technology that we're, uh, that we're launching. And so prior to my time at VMware, I was also a product manager at NetApp, uh, where I focused on VMware integration specifically, um, uh, uh, the virtual storage console, site recovery manager, and, and SRA plugins, and before my you know journey in product management at NetApp, uh, which is where it started at for me, I was actually a customer uh, managing data centers and uh, and you know large scale VMware environments, NetApp storage, etc. And so sort of made the switch in career to product management uh, so that I could have more of a direct influence on on the products and and, and solutions that I was using hands on. So again, happy to be here, looking forward to talking about this with you today.
2: Yeah, that's very cool. You don't hear it too often, by the way. That You see a product manager who's also been a customer and then, you know, actually became responsible for the products that he or she was deploying. So that's really awesome. Now, you already mentioned it, you're responsible for CloudFlex storage, and that's the topic of the day. And we actually did an announcement around CloudFlex storage at the end of 2022. So at the time this ships, probably about two months ago. Um, maybe before we get started and before we dive into what CloudFlex storage actually is, it's probably good to explain what problem we are solving. I think that's where it all starts.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. So what we've learned is that, you know, and this is really uh, no, nothing new, right? Customers in the public cloud, they, they have a certain expectation for um, resource elasticity, and this is sort of the hallmark of public cloud services. Um, on-prem, right, is sort of a monolithic model where you purchase infrastructure upfront and you, you utilize it over a period of time, uh, but you're not really getting the elasticity uh, of resources, namely in our in our area, compute and storage, right? And so in the cloud, customers have this expectation. Now, our solution for the cloud infrastructure is uh, VMware Cloud on AWS. And uh, to date, VMC AWS, uh, AWS is based on the HCI form factor, uh, hyper-converged infrastructure powered by vSAN, of course. And while this has been quite successful uh, in the cloud over the past five years or so, uh, what we've noticed is that what we've learned is that you know, one size does not necessarily fit all, especially for customers who, who need to scale their storage uh, at a greater, greater scale uh, than their compute. And so they need this sort of imbalance of compute and storage resources that HCI uh, provides, but at a different scaling rate. So if you need to scale storage, you have to also scale compute at the same time, which could be wasteful if you don't need that extra compute. And so the problem that we're specifically trying to solve is addressing customers who need to scale their storage independently and at a greater scale than compute.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. And... Actually, I've heard some on-prem customers saying something similar, but I guess their situation is kind of different because with on-prem customers, they have more flexibility, I guess, in terms of the hardware that they're using. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's correct, Duncan. In in BMC and AWS, we do use several um, EC2 instances. They're metal. They're actually bare metal instances, but we only have a handful of those. And they offer, you know, certain discrete profiles of compute and storage. Whereas on-prem... You know, we have hundreds of ReadyNodes certified ReadyNode partners, uh, dozens of certi- certified ReadyNode partners with hundreds of ReadyNodes that customers can choose from uh, for, uh, for vSAN, right? For various vSAN densities, either uh, extremely dense uh, on the storage side, light on the compute side, or vice versa uh, for memory intensive applications, or even, you know, at the edge. And, and further beyond that, we have, of course, we partner with all of our external storage partners pairing a a vSphere-only node with an external storage. So there's far more flexibility in the on-premise world for uh, VMware than there is for VMware Cloud and AWS, and sort of that was by design because we wanted to offer the highest levels of simplicity of consumption for customers, right? We didn't want to give them too many choices like we do on-prem, but as I said, right, there is a, a, um, a burgeoning problem with that when it comes to scaling storage independently.
2: Yeah, and I guess you can't just have people running into the AWS data center to start adding NVMe devices randomly to host. So that, that would be another problem now. So now that we know what problem we are solving, it's probably good to talk about how we are actually solving those types of problems. I'm guessing that you know the majority of customers have heard about what vSAN is and how vSAN works. And maybe it's similar, CloudFlex stack or the CloudFlex storage stack. Maybe it's not. So maybe you can explain what, it actually looks like and how it has been implemented.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Flex Storage is based on, as I mentioned, um, Datrium technology that we acquired several years back. And the Datrium file system was originally uh, an on-premise product called Datrium DHCI. Uh, It was an appliance form factor that ran their file system. Uh, And what they did was they ported it to um, cloud native. So they have a cloud native file system now that runs in EC2 and leverages cloud storage such as S3 on the back end. So this file system is uh, called the Scale-Out Cloud File System. It's the same technology that actually powers uh, VMware Cloud Disaster Recovery. Uh, And so we're essentially leveraging that existing file system for a new use case, which is primary storage. Uh, And this file system is based on a two-tier design, uh, where you you have a caching tier uh, for high-performance reads and writes, and you know, at a certain point, um, data is you know flushed or persisted to S3 on the back end, and really what that provides is a a very cost-effective capacity tier, right? That is highly durable. Uh, we we benefit from AWS replication, which we can talk about a little bit later. Um, but essentially, this two-tier file system provides uh, the best of both worlds in terms of performance and in terms of capacity. So we're really able to meet a lot of demands. Um, for various workloads.
0: So, Chris, you mentioned S three, and S three is object storage. And so, for people that know object storage, that is pretty much a way to providing large amounts of capacity for low cost or at low cost, but not particular good performance. So, how can people or how can our customers expect? a a good performance out of this solution and can you talk a little bit more about how the team solved those performance challenges
1: yeah certainly frank so as i mentioned the file system is a two-tier design Uh, and so what we've done is um, the the team essentially has put a, a a high speed caching tier in front of s3 so think of it as a a caching tier um, that, that is based on high-performance NVMe devices. And these NVMe devices are local to the EC2 instances that we're using, in fact, for this caching tier. So if you think about it as, as a logical caching tier that provides high-performance NVMe storage up front, uh, but at a certain point, once we uh, once we have sort of a, a situation where the cache layer has reached a certain capacity, we'll actually flush those writes down into S3 to persist them in a highly durable state. So, with this two tier design combined with a, a log structured file system or LFS, uh, these two technologies allow us to have a, a highly performing um, front end to S3, which sort of gets around those issues that you mentioned. Uh, whereas, if you didn't have this um, file system that powers a, a high performance device layer front end to S3, uh, you would definitely suffer some of those latencies that, you know right in directly to S3 uh, has.
0: When we're talking about S3 buckets, one thing we we have to ask, of course, is if the customers have to manage those object store accounts and those buckets by themselves, or are these systems managed by VMware end-to-end?
1: Yeah, great question. So the customers themselves do not have to worry about managing uh, S3 uh, the S3 buckets, S3 credentials, or even um, the API calls, right, the puts, the gets, all of that is folded into the, um, the managed service, uh, and all of that is folded into the, the pricing uh, of Flex Storage. So, so essentially, Flex Storage is a, you know, a VMware-managed um, and natively integrated service that takes care of all of these aspects, these underlying infrastructure aspects, including the S3 management. We manage that on our end. Um, what customers you know essentially pay for is you know buy the gigabyte you know there's a dollar per gigabyte rate depending on whether you um, want to consume the service in an on-demand fashion or or sign up for a term subscription for either one or three years so essentially if you're a customer wanting to consume flex storage these are your three methods of, of consumption and there are no other hidden charges there's no uh, there's no networking charges. There's no egress, ingress charges you have to worry about. There's no AWS credentials outside of having VMware Cloud on AWS itself, which is the main sort of pre-requirement um, for customers to use Flex Storage. There's absolutely nothing else that the customer has to worry about. We we manage it all on, on their behalf.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And it's aligned with the rest of our VMC services, of course. Now, I probably... You probably had many conversations with VMC customers or other customers that are interested in in this solution, uh, or maybe you actually have some customers already using it. So, what kind of use cases do these customers have for this solution?
1: Yeah. So, what we've what we've experienced so far is that, um, and even before launching, right, we did a lot of customer validation. We've talked to a lot of VMC and AWS customers. And we sort of uncovered these uh, use cases and the demand for this service, uh, which sort of sort of fed into the you know the justification for launching the service and, and primarily those use cases revolved around uh, what I like to call the 80 20 rule uh, so twenty percent of the workloads that customers typically run are sort of what we call um, you know the tier zero or your you know mission critical business critical applications that require you know, the highest level of performance. Uh, in terms of IOPS, in terms of, you know, throughput and latency. But whereas the rest of the 80% of of workloads that customers run um, can be what we call general purpose or, you know, tier one, tier two workloads. And those can be anything from uh, virtualized file servers to data warehouse or analytical, uh, analytical applications that require some, you know, data backend or even any type, of, any type of scale out or, or, or data intensive application uh, that may not need uh, the tier zero levels of uh, performance. So these are the type of use cases that we're initially targeting for flex storage um, in the initial stages, or is this 80%? And uh, it does encompass you know, quite a number of workloads, as I mentioned, and listed off a few there. Uh, and it's really no different than what we've seen on-prem as well, right? Uh, on-prem you know there are various tiers of storage based on performance and uh, and customers certainly need to run these other type of applications. So that's sort of the initial uh, use cases that we've been discovering and what Flex storage is ideal for. Now beyond that you know we are looking at expanding Flex storage to actually encompass all workloads, including that 20% uh, uh, but so look for us to sort of build out the solution. Uh, and you know go along that journey where we increase performance and we're able to um, you know satisfy the requirements of those of those applications as well.
0: so you mentioned something about those business critical applications, and you also mentioned a journey right so I'm not sure whether you can answer this question directly, but what about the performance expectations of customers? What kind of performance? can they expect can you talk a little bit more about that
1: yeah we can certainly talk about it we have some numbers that we are going to be publishing as part of our performance guidelines Um, in terms of IOPS right we're looking at providing anywhere up to around 300k 300,000 IOPS per file system and and that's that's uh, quite sufficient for a large number of workloads you know, for, for a file system that can actually satisfy up to around 400 terabytes or tibibytes of of cloud storage. So if you think about these, this file system as, you know, has a capacity upper bound, but uh, the 300k IOPS can be satisfied even if you're only deploying, let's say, 20 terabytes on, on the solution or if you're at 400 terabytes. So this is sort of the uh, performance that we're looking at, and we found that this actually uh, matches and encompasses quite a few of that 80% of customers' workloads that we've, uh, that we've discovered.
2: So you just mentioned a single file system. Does that mean you can have multiple file systems per cluster or is it limited to a single file system today?
1: Yeah, good question. So today in 1.0, uh, it's limited to one file system per SDDC. Right so if you have an SDDC that's deployed in VMware Cloud on AWS and you have a couple clusters in that within that SDDC you can deploy a file system and have it dedicated to that SDDC and the data store itself it's an NFS data store uh, which is the presentation layer and that can actually be mounted across all of the clusters within that SDDC now down the road uh, we will actually support multiple file systems per SDDC if customers need that configuration. But today we find that uh, providing the cross-cluster connectivity is actually an interesting use case where they can do things like cross-cluster vMotion uh, with the shared NFS data store.
0: If I'm not mistaken, the solution has been rolled out in a few regions. Now, if people are interested in this solution, which regions are those?
1: Today it's available in North America, uh, South America, Europe, and the Middle East, Africa. And we are looking to roll out the Asia Pacific region in in the coming months. So look for that. Uh, but as I mentioned, we're covering those those uh, those sort of four geos, uh, and we're going to enable the Asia Pacific regions most likely starting with India, uh, um, Australia, and, and Japan. So look for the the support of those in in the coming months.
2: Well, that's cool. I'm pretty sure that. Some of my customers in Europe will be interested in leveraging it. One of the other things that I was interested in understanding more about is, and this has something to do with regional aspects and availability, is if you look at those AWS S3 buckets and you look at the solution that AWS has created, they actually have the ability to grow across multiple uh, AZs for availability purposes. And I know there are different options available. So, how have you, or have you actually used those capabilities to increase the availability of the uh, the system itself?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and one of the one of the uh, added benefits of leveraging um, cloud native storage, right? So, as as you mentioned, S three is our persistence layer where we store all data. The solution, the file system, is deployed in a in an AZ, uh, an, an AWS AZ. However, um, you know, data that is persisted to s3 even in a single AZ is actually replicated across all AZs within that AWS region And so that happens to be a nice sort of byproduct or benefit of, of using s3 and you know we're specifically able to leverage that <clears throat> that sort of regional uh, replication for disaster recovery scenarios, right so if you if you can imagine that an AZ, goes away as offline or, or has some type of catastrophe, the data is actually persisted, you know, across the region in another AZ. So it becomes an effort of, you know, working with VMware to stand up a new file system in another AZ uh, and following, you know, a certain runbook to sort of recover that data in another AZ. It's not an automated or orchestrated um, disaster recovery uh, workflow today. Uh, we do. We do plan on having that workflow um, be automated and orchestrated at some point on the roadmap. Um, but if you need, alternatively, if you do need those levels of orchestration, then you can look at other products such as VMware Cloud Disaster Recovery uh, to recover the data in a more automated fashion. But absolutely, you know, S three provides great durability uh, and, and great regional replication, which we can definitely take advantage of.
2: Yeah, that's very cool. And I'm assuming that. The replication, etc., is all included in that price already. At that point,
1: that's right. That's right. The level of S3 that we're using on the back end uh, does include that um, that regional replication, and you know customers don't really see it. It's not an impact on performance. This is something that AWS provides out of the box for um, for the level of S3 that we're using. Now there are you know other variants of S3, other tiers. And you know, as as we as we evaluate you know customers' needs, we may evaluate other uh, other tiers of S3. Uh, but today we're using a single uh, single tier, and we can perhaps look at other things such as cold storage with Glacier down the road. So there are a lot of possibilities that a lot of interesting possibilities that we can do by leveraging S3.
2: Yeah, I like the fact that you get you know free DR with the uh, with the service itself. I think that is really unique. It's not something that I've seen anywhere else, and. For sure, it's not something that vSAN can offer out of the box. So I think that's truly unique about this solution. Now, the other thing that I was wondering about, because we've been talking about VMware Cloud on AWS specifically for the past, you know, 20, 22 minutes or so. Uh, but of course, there are multiple hyperscale solutions, hyperscaler solutions out there. So what are some of the things that we are considering from a future perspective, maybe other hyperscalers or other other features and functionalities that we're planning on introducing in the near future that you are capable of sharing at this point, because I don't want to get you into any trouble with legal, of course.
1: No problem at all. Yeah. We we do have a public roadmap for VMware Cloud and AWS, and we have shared um, our vision for um, flex storage in uh, recent events such as VMware Explorer. Um, so what I can say is that, you know, we initially launched the service in, you know, VMware Cloud on AWS, which is our VMware managed um hyperscaler solution. VMware obviously partners with other hyperscalers uh, such as Google Cloud, uh, VMware Engine, uh, Azure Azure, uh, VMware, Azure VMware Solution to, to name a few where vSAN today is running as well and some of our other products and solutions. So we, we do plan on extending this service to those other um, hyperscaler solutions where VMware Cloud is present and uh, TBD on, on the, the exact consumption uh, experience of the service, but we do we do envision uh, providing the service available in those other hyperscalers uh, in the future. I can't say when that's going to happen, but that is something that we uh, envision providing. And once we do that, you know, it does open up some interesting possibilities for cross cloud replication. Um, you know, VM mobility, disaster recovery solutions, especially when you combine it with um, uh VMware cloud disaster recovery for example the the sibling proc, sibling product uh, for, for various use cases so we have to still work on fleshing those out and working with our hyperscaler partners on providing that
0: the the future sounds very bright for for this product talk about future stuff this show is called the unexplored territory podcast and as a product manager you get to work with the newest technologies and as you know there's much unexplored territory in technology which emerging technologies gets you excited and would interest our listeners as well
1: yeah that's a really interesting question uh thank you for asking uh, there's obviously a number of emerging technologies that I think will impact um, not only the technology industry, but also the world in general. I think the one that I am most interested in is quantum computing, um, in particular because I think that, you know, it will be a complete paradigm shift in computing, uh, given the sort of exponential computing um, potential that it has compared to, you know, today's traditional computing um, you know, for example, these, you know, these really advanced calculations can be done in seconds versus days. Uh, I know that many companies, including, you know, a lot of the big technology companies, you know, IBM, Google, to name a few, Microsoft, are investing literally billions of dollars in uh, quantum computing initiatives that are in and around the world as well. And so I think, you know, just the, the future potential for breakthroughs that quantum computing can provide in industries such as, let's say, healthcare, pharmaceuticals, um, finance and, and on IT, right, encryption, I think one of the predictions was that a quantum computer could break the, you know, uh, cryptocurrency, uh, cryptocurrency keys, you know, by some year in the future, which would really dramatically change the way we think about encryption and security on a broader scale. So, yeah, the impact of I think quantum computing could have on not just computing, but, you know, the world as it comes to, you know, new drug discovery, Um, you know financial you know algorithms for you know investing etc is quite vast so that does interest me quite a bit
0: yeah quantum computing is such an interesting topic to to explore very difficult to to understand but very very exciting well thanks chris for this very interesting episode Let's wrap this episode up, Duncan. And that's
2: it. We've reached the end of another episode of the Unexplored Territory podcast. If I have to summarize today's episode, then my key takeaway would be that CloudFlex Storage provides a solution for those 80% of workloads that do not necessarily need millions of IOPS. It does so at a great price and with several additional layers of resiliency built in. Again, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate the podcast wherever possible. If you have any feedback, send us a message on Twitter on at pod. I would like to thank my co-host and, of course, our guest of the day, Chris, for a fantastic episode.
1: Thanks a lot, Frank and Duncan. Happy to be here. It's been a great, great joy to be on your, on your podcast.